So we are finishing our sermon series today uh, called Eclipsed and how we block the light that we are called to reflect. And in the series, we've talked about how that just like the sun, the sun lights up our world. But of course, when the planet is turned the other way and we're on the that we're facing the other way, we don't get the sunlight. That's what we call nighttime. But the moon can reflect the sunlight into our darkness if the moon is in the right location for our benefit, right? That's the idea. And so what we've talked about in this series is that Jesus is the light of the world. And spiritually, he's the light. But sometimes people can't see him where they are. They've not been exposed to that, that light or they just something else that's caught in the way. And we can be in a position as Jesus followers to reflect his light. We can be the moon, Spiritually, We can reflect his light in our lives and into the parts of the world that don't see him. And that's what we're called to do. But that's what the moon can do to bring light. Unfortunately, sometimes the moon can, instead of bringing light, sometimes the moon can eclipse light. It can get between a source of light and other people. And all too often, Jesus' people have gotten between people who are looking to, to find the light of God. And because of our bad mentalities and our bad attitudes and our bad you know, our hang-ups and our dark sides, we've gotten between people and their view of God and have eclipsed their view of what matters most because they look at us and say, if that's what God's all about, who needs that? And the truth is, is that we're usually not reflecting what God's all about when we do that. So we don't want to eclipse the light of God to other people. We've talked about a lot of subjects the last many weeks. It's been week, this is week seven and we're ending it today. We can go on for two or three more weeks easily, but we, at some point we got to move in. It's Palm Sunday next week. Easter's coming, you know? So we're wrapping it up today, even though we could go on further. But today we're leaving off with an important topic, uh, an issue that's always a problem. It's never even a, a, a question. It's, it's always an eclipsing issue when it's guilty of being in our lives. And to set this up, I'm going to tell you some stories from the New Testament to get the conversation started. And I got to hurry, so I can't tell you all my stories. I had to cut some stories out because when I practiced the sermon, you don't want to know how long it took. So I, I've shortened, I've tossed out some stories. But here's a very short rendition of a couple that I'll keep. Jesus, when he started his earthly ministry, he was about 30 years old. He went back to his hometown of Nazareth in Galilee. He walked into the synagogue on a worship day, and he, and, he, and he had a chance to speak for a minute there, as was their custom to do. And he said some things, a couple things he said that could have been offensive, but no one seemed to bat an eye at that. They all watched him grow up there. But then while he was there, Jesus talked about God's relationship to foreigners. Now, there's a term that the Jewish people used for foreigners, people who are not Jewish. They called them Gentiles. To the Jewish people of that time, there were basically two groups of people. There were Jews and there was everybody else. There was, you know, it just like, there's no, there's no distinction beyond that. It's just like you're either a Jew or you're a not Jew. You're a Jew or you're a Gentile. And so Jesus was talking about some of God's favor he had shown to some Gentiles. And Jesus told some stories in his synagogue about God's favor to some Gentiles and his, uh, almost his favor, preferred favor to them in certain situations over people in the same situation in Israel. And, and it upset the crowd that's what upset the crowd. In fact, it says in Luke 4, 28, when, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue, they were furious. Not furious at what he said earlier, which could have been more offensive if they didn't believe what he said, but they were furious at that. Here's what they did. Verse 29, jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. Folks, they're throwing, they're throwing Jesus over the cliff. That's an insane story. His hometown, no less, right? 
But, I love this verse, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I just love the imagery of that right there. He just kind of, no you don't. He just walks right through there and says, I'm out of here. But what a crazy reaction about Jesus talking about God's favor to other people groups. One more story, for sake of time. Years later, Jesus died, rose again, ascended to heaven. The church got started. A man named Paul became a great missionary, traveling and preaching the good news. But he didn't just preach the good news to Jewish believers who lived all over the Asia Minor area. He did that, but, and some of them believed, some of them did not. He also preached the good news to the non-Jewish, or the, to the Gentiles, as they would call them, to the Gentile people. And they believed the gospel because that's what God wanted them to do, is for everybody. And when Paul did that, it made a lot of the Jewish people angry because he's our God, you know. And so they began to kind of get, well, they, well, they would beat Paul. They would imprison Paul. They threw stones at Paul. They sto- Paul was stoned, but that sounds bad nowadays. So they stoned Paul. Um, he, you know, he was um, going through all this. And one time, years later, he goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back to Jerusalem where he's going to um, offer some sacrifices during a festival season. And a lot of the Jews who were upset with him for his work with others, well, they got the crowd worked up against Paul and they began to beat him to death. Roman soldiers who were there to kind of occupy Jerusalem and keep the peace, Roman soldiers saw the mob, interceded and rescued Paul from being killed. They were going to bring him to jail to figure out what he did that was so bad as to incite a riot. As they got him to the steps, the crowd was following angrily, and Paul asked permission to stand on the stairs and address his hostile crowd. They gave him permission for whatever reason. And Paul stood up and raised his hands, and the entire crowd got quiet and glared at him as he spoke. And Paul told his whole story. And if you were to read the whole story, there's a lot of things that Paul says that could have been triggers. There were a lot of things he said about where he was wrong before, before he found Jesus. They could have been mad at him for finding Jesus because they weren't all Jesus followers. He said a lot of things and the crowd just listened. And then he said this in verse Acts 22, verse 21. He said, but the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd, don't miss this, the crowd listened until Paul said that word. What word? Gentiles. They listened until he said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live. What in the world? They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. It's crazy. And it sets the stage for this last subject we're going to take in this series to talk about an eclipsing issue that some people who consider themselves you know, God's, you know, godly people or even Jesus followers, but can be eclipsing to our message, and that is the topic of racial prejudice. Racial prejudice. This topic is nothing, this is not a new problem. We just saw some Bible stories where it was going on. It's not a new problem. And by the way, it, it, and we're going we're gonna to kind of knock it down because it needs to be knocked down, but let me just softly say this first. It can happen. Sometimes it's not ominous how it happens. It kind of creeps in. For, for, think about how the people in the story who were considered themselves good moral religious people, how they acted that way towards Jesus and Paul. How do they get to that point? How do they get so prejudiced? Well, think about it. Here's how. First of all, they understood that they were God's chosen people. We're God's chosen, we're God's favored people, right? They had Moses to prove that and rescue from Egypt and the Ten Commandments and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to prove that they were God's chosen people. 
So there's that. And then there's the fact that all these other nations have caused nothing but trouble for us. They've brought idolatrous practices into our country or they have oppressed us militarily or politically. Rome was ruling them now. It was Greece before then. It was Persia before then. It was Babylon before then. I mean, you know, so these people are oppressing us and we're God's people. We're favored. We have God's special blessing on us. And these people are hurting and bad. And so it's easy to see when you grow up into a context and grow up into a culture how over time and reinforced by generations, racial prejudice can be there even when you can't see it in yourself. And that's what's going on in these Bible stories. Racial, it's not a new problem. I mean, folks, listen, thinking, thinking that we're better than others, well, that's, that's a tale as old as time, isn't it? Truthfully, we've not been better as a nation. Our nation, I know a lot of us, we love our nation. We're the same way. We're God's favored our nation and raises us. We have the same mentality. A lot of us, uh, uh, the European descent who've raised up in this nation for the centuries, we've had a bad history. Since our nation's inception, our racial sins have been a stain upon us, haven't they? From how we treated the indigenous people, the Native Americans, come on now. It's bad. Any honest study of, of history would, would make that clear. How we've treated people, how we treated some Asian Americans during World War II, some Muslim Americans during the last 20 years, some, uh, how you see anti-Semitism as a problem in so much of, against, anti, against the Jewish people now. In the world, not just in history in Europe, a few decades ago, but in America today still. You see uh, right now there's a lot of problems in, in New York City. They're dealing with a lot of hate crimes against Asian Americans. We've had a lot of bad history. But the worst of, our, the worst of our racial sins that have stained us, even more so than you know, up there with uh, how we've treated the indigenous tribes that were here before us, our, our, our big one has been how we've treated our black brothers and sisters as a nation. From the very beginning, it's interesting the hypocrisy in our founding documents when we're writing for our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. People are writing things like, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. While they say many of the people who wrote that owned slaves at the time. What they meant was, we are, we are equal to the people in England who are ruling over us and we should have to be equal with them. But these other people are not equal with us. They didn't have rights. They were owned. It wasn't like slavery. Like when you read the slavery in the Bible, some of that was like almost like just, you know, indentured servanthood. It's not good back then, but it's just how the world was. But this is like chattel slavery. It's the bad stuff. We got it going on. And at this point, Europe is waking up. The developed world is waking up to the wrong, the, the printing press, the Reformation. Slavery is being gotten rid of. But in the U.S. of A., as we begin a new nation, we held on to it for decades and decades and decades. In our early founding fathers, there's writings of people saying, we got to end this. It's wrong, but we didn't end it. All the way until we went to civil war 70-some years later, right? And it's interesting when you think about the civil war, when you think back to the Bible stories of the children of Israel and how they were enslaved in Egypt. Remember the, how the Israelites were slaves in Egypt? And God sent Moses to say, let them go. And God sent plagues upon the Egyptians in order to get them to let the Israelite slaves be free. But they wouldn't do it. And finally, God sent one ultimate plague against Egypt and killed every one of their firstborn sons. And that's what it cost them to finally let go of the slavery in their country, right? And I think about the civil war in our country, our civil war. 
Didn't it cost us a lot of our firstborn sons and secondborn sons and husbands and brothers and dads? A lot of blood had to, was paid for us to finally fix that wrong in our nation. And unfortunately, I will just say it's not a problem anymore, but we've seen it in days now that we have technology and we're intertwined through social media, but racial hate and prejudice is still around. And it's even on the rise. A white supremacist mindset is on the rise. And I can tell you stories. I can tell you stories about racial inequity done by all races of people. I've been around to see different races of people be racially prejudiced and racially wrong. But what what did I say a few weeks ago? I said this a few weeks ago. You never take an issue and make it better when you point fingers across any aisle. You always call out your own side, right? That's what we have to do. You call out your own side. We do this all the time with politics and with other issues, and we always say, you know, you guys, or you, whatever, instead of saying, we, me. And I've seen racial inequity a lot of times and horrible things in my lifetime. I mean, I've heard, I've heard, I, you know, I grew up around Christian people who told horrible jokes, made horrible, horrible statements. Of course, they would say, oh, those are just harmless words and harmless jokes. It sounds defensible until you see them talking about real issues and getting angry and red-faced and about those people. Like, oh, I thought those jokes were harmless. It sounds like you had a little more going on inside than you were admitting when you were laughing. I remember being a pastor in my mid-20s and I hearing a deacon say to me one time, he was upset because he couldn't go to the bank because the bank was closed that day. He drove there for nothing. And it was closed because it was Martin Luther King Day. And he said, well, it's closed because it's James Earl Ray Appreciation Day, he said, the man who killed Martin Luther King. And I thought, what in the world? Ugh. I can tell you a story about my alma mater and my, the fundamental Baptist movement I grew up in. And the, 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 the head pastor of the whole thing, having a big question and answer service with thousands of people there, I can't even get into the story for a second time. But watching him just dress down a man verbally who asked a question about this topic and made, they probably got, made they think he's going to get hurt real bad in that crowd. It was just, it's a story I can't tell. It takes too long. It makes me angry. But looking back, I'm like, what's wrong with the racial angst we have towards other people I've seen in churches? I did see a deacon from that very large church um, one time work at my trucking company before I became a pastor. He was on the dock one day unloading trailers, and he was stopping to talk to somebody, and he was red-faced and talking real angrily. And I walked up to him, and I said, what's going on over here? And he said, I'm telling him that, that black people won't be in heaven. Not, not where I'm going. No, they won't be. And I thought, what? And this is a deacon of a very prominent church. And I thought, what in the world is this coming from? You're a, supposed to be a Christian, a Jesus follower. And look at the hate that's in your heart. And some of us hear those stories. And by the way, if that's where you are today, I hope that this, you're uncomfortable because I want God to work in our hearts. If, that's, if, if your bent is to, is to talk that way and be that way, I want to, to, to nudge. I want to, I want to confront that today. But here's my concern. A lot of us would look at some of those stories and others I could have told and say, well, I know people who are that bad, but I'm not that bad. That's really some racist people. I'm not that bad. But my concern is that that has caused a bunch of us to not see where our own struggles lie because we play the comparison game and by some other people's standards of extreme, we feel like we're better than that. And so it's made us feel okay where we're not okay. We, we, we're, we feel we're okay because... We, 
But, but here's what happens. We still get defensive. If someone brings up the problem of racism, which has been a problem historically and still is, we get defensive. And I always wonder why we get defensive about a problem that honestly most of us fail to understand because we haven't really studied it very well. We just kind of hear our little echo chamber and we get so defensive. And we defend our defensiveness on this subject, not as a problem within us, but as saying, oh, I'm okay because I'm not like those really bad racist people are. See, they're just kind of in my life or in my circle or in my political affiliations, but I'm not like that, so I feel placated with my own attitudes because they're not that bad. Instead of saying, why are we still on edge where we are, where are we wrong? And then I think another thing I've seen Christians do is say, well, I'm okay with other races, Arlen, because whenever I find some that support my ideology, I'm okay with them. You know, if they, you know, when I find a minority group, it's interesting, for the last uh, 70 years, a lot of our minority groups have voted Christians in minority groups. Have a lot of, have predominantly, not all, but predominantly voted on the left ticket of the two-party system in America. And typically, the majority of white evangelical Christians have voted more often on the evangelical side of the, on the right side of the political spectrum. And they both believe in Jesus and both worship him, but there's a reason there's a difference, and it's because of our past experience, by the way, is why. What's interesting is that some, some white people who politically get angry at certain groups of people, we say, I'm not wrong, because if, if we can find a certain minority that comes over and speaks to our political ideology with us, we're like, see, I like them, so I'm not, I don't have a problem. You know, it's like our token our token friend. I have a friend. I've got a black friend. I got an Asian. I got friends. You know. So we justify our angst because we can find people who prop up our ideals, and we even point fingers and say the other side acts like they're they're for the you know for, for people who are you know a minority. But then when they don't agree with them politically, they, they turn their backs. They're prejudiced too. I agree. Everyone struggles with racial prejudice, but that doesn't plastate our. You know. You know what? Here's the problem. That doesn't plastate what we do wrong. The problem is when it comes to racism, when it comes to politics, we're no better than sports fanatics. Now, I'm a sports guy. I just watched March Madness last night. Good games. Well, the first one was kind of a blowout. You know what the deal is with sports fanatics? We're not real rational. Because, again, I said this before, but if the calls are going again against my team, then the refs were paid off by the other team. And if the calls go against the other team, well, they had it coming, you know. And if the other team's got a bad, kind of a jerky player, that I don't, kind of a, a person we don't like as a player or a coach, we hate them because they shouldn't stand for such people. But if we have a kind of a jerky player or coach, we're like, well, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a winner. We always like circle the wagons around our team and defend our bad behaviors and excuse nothing from anybody else because we're like, it's sports. And that's fine with sports. Sports is just fanaticism. That's crazy talk, right? Who cares? But when it comes to politics, we do the same thing. And politics lead to war sometimes. Sports usually only lead to some drunken brawls outside of a stadium. But politics can lead to war. We do the same thing with our politics. We're like, this is my team, so I'll point out your bad players and defend my bad players. I'll point out your uh, inconsistencies and I'll defend mine. I'll, I'll ignore any good you do and I'll brag on anything that looks good that I do. We're, we're, we're tr so tribal and we're the same way when it comes to race. A lot of white people running around and we're like, well, I'm not a racist, but I'm defensive of my team. He said, well, we shouldn't have teams. We're all one. Yes, we are. In Christ Jesus, we're all, that's remember, what we, who we are in our background, we are all in Christ Jesus the same. We're also unique. Some of us are men or women, different races, different personalities. That's okay too. Our oneness is in Christ. 
But we can't find these other categories and say, I'm going to defend whatever category I'm in, like I'm a sports fanatic, and defend us when I feel we're being criticized. Because what if we're being rightfully criticized? Why are we so defensive? I think the problem is for many of us, we don't understand racial injustice very well. Not really. We haven't really looked into it. So, well, slavery ended 150 years ago. Yeah. But then we, a lot of, of blacks who were now without jobs and educations got imprisoned by vagrancy laws and were put to work back in the same fields they used to serve as slaves and were actually treated worse. Did you know that? Did you study that before? How about Jim Crow laws? Do we know much about Jim Crow laws and how they've affected diverse for decades? I mean, for almost 90 years after slavery, this thing was, was, was brutal. Redlining. If we don't know what redlining is, redlining has wreaked havoc on our black brothers and sisters in a, a nation particularly. It has kept them stuck in spots without home ownership many times through history at one time especially and, and job opportunities. It has a, if you don't understand redlining, you ought to before you have an opinion on the subject. It was until the 1950s before civil rights was finally addressed. This is 90 years after the Civil War and 175 years after the Declaration of Independence. And even then when it's being addressed, a lot of people, a lot of white evangelical Christians opposed it and threw a fit in Jesus' name. And that's a shame. And it's not gotten better. And of course, the war on drugs, which means not the war on all drugs, but mainly the war on poor man's drugs, like crack, cocaine, and stuff, and disproportionately affecting certain groups. I mean, we, the incarceration we've gone against certain groups of people has, has been inequitable and unfair, and it's a problem. In the name of law and order, we've done a lot of damage. And sometimes when it's brought up, we get defensive. Now, I could talk about that more, and I just kind of skimmed a couple simple ideas. I'm going to ask everyone here to do me a favor on this subject. For sake of time, so that we're not here too late today, I'm afraid I'm going to go a few minutes over, but so we're not here too late today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Later on in our Lighthouse Church Facebook group called Lighthouse Church in the Loop, I'm going to post a video. It's a 15-minute long video. It's made by, remember VeggieTales? The guy, VeggieTales is that cartoon we all sing. Some of us grew up with VeggieTales. Okay, anyhow, I won't sing it for you. VeggieTales. Uh, the founder, Phil Vischer, made a video about race in America. And it's phenomenal. He, and, and I've studied this topic broadly. He, I, can, I can send you other links that are two hours long or more, but he's a safe one because he's a white evangelical Christian and most of us liked VeggieTales at one time, so he's a safe voice that won't be offensive to us. But in a, a concise 15 minutes, he kind of hits a lot of stuff that we ought to at least open our eyes and think about. And I'm going to ask us all to watch. I'm going to post it on the Facebook in the loop. If you don't follow that page, follow it later. But for sake of time, I'm going to send it there so I don't spend any more time on this subject. But I always wonder, when it comes to, to, to Jesus followers like me, why is it hard for us to confront this topic? Why is it hard for us to call it out as wrong? It should be the easiest thing for us to sit there and say it's wrong. Why is it hard for us to sit there and say racism is wrong, it always has been, and it still is, and it always will be? Why is our reaction anything other than like, well, what are you saying? Well, that's not my problem. Well, uh, what are you? And we get defensive. Why, why is there defensiveness there? We end up accidentally defending bad players because we're, uh, we, we think we're better than because we're not that bad. But we get, why not, why not just come out and say, absolutely. If you ask me about it, I'll say it every single time. Racism is wrong. It's always been wrong. And it always will be. Why is that any hard reaction to take? But we struggle. We get defensive and angry when it's brought up. But here's the bottom line. We, <laughs> we can't be right with God and wrong with people. 
And I've said this before, so I'll say it again. We can't be right with God and wrong with people groups. Whatever kind of group that could be. So specifically with racism, I want to kind of put my finger on it for you a little bit here. What is our reaction? Listen, what is our reaction when racism is brought up? When someone brings up the topic of racism, here's a way to put your finger on your pulse. Here's a way to take your, to take your pulse. Ready? What is your reaction when racism is brought up? Is your reaction to feel sad that racism has existed and still does and it makes you sad? Is your reaction anger that racism has existed and still does? Is that your reaction? Or is your reaction anger that someone brought it up and bothered you with it again because they just want something and you're sick of hearing about it? Your angry reaction ought to, look, just this, this sermon today, this topic, anywhere it comes up on social media or here, your angst ought to just be a red flag. My angst about this ought to be a red flag in my life because it ought to expose where we might have a struggle point. I always wonder, as a white guy, why is it that white people get so upset when even to a small extent we feel less than another culture? Before I finish my statement, I want to expound on that real quick here. Like, we're like, oh man, like the most oppressed people in the world are us poor, you know, white men. You know, it's so rough to be a white man in America, you know. The culture's just kind of raging against us and it's just pushing us out. I mean, and it's like, really? We have it so rough. We've had it it for so rough for so long, haven't we? And, if you, and, and, if, and we get that way, and anyone who tells us otherwise, we accuse them of being woke or having white guilt. But why is it that we get so upset when someone implies that in their cultural view, we are less than? Why, why, why do so many people get so upset when we are made to feel less than another group? Yet, here's my point, yet we expect other cultures who've experienced real oppression to just get over it. They're like, they've had a real hard time. They just got to get over it. I'm sick of hearing about it. It bothers me. Just get over it. But us, if we're made to feel bad at any moment, we're like, whoa. If someone else from another group feels upset about the past and about the present, about things that they feel have kept them behind, we're just like, well, you're just, a, you're just triggered and you're a snowflake who needs a safe space and you probably cancel culture yourself because that's all the words, that's all the buzzwords, you know, and get over it. But as soon as something comes into our turf and kind of hits us close by, we're all triggered, (laughs) snowflakes, who need a safe space, and we cancel all sorts of people. But that's different, because we're the good guys, because God knows my heart. Why is it that we can't handle the subject honestly? Say, well, here's why, Arlen, because they always say we, we have a problem. We've been racist. Arlen, it's not we. I've never done those things. I wasn't alive during the years of slavery. I wasn't alive during the years of civil rights fights. And I haven't done the bad stuff today that some people do. So it's not we. Don't put me in the we. That's my problem, Arlen. Okay. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Here's statements I've heard throughout my life. We defeated Adolf Hitler in World War II. We landed a man on the moon. We fought for our nation's independence and we got it and we did all this. We mistreated the indigenous tribes. Oh, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I had nothing to do with that. How come we always works to our advantage when we're talking about our good stuff, but we ignore it when it talks about our bad stuff? We works for me for all of our greatness, but I want no part of saying we if it might make us look bad. Here's a thought for you. In the Bible, there was a prophet named Daniel. He was, we talked about him recently. Daniel was in captivity during the Bible. Daniel was a righteous man. Daniel prayed to God during captivity, and Daniel said, God, Forgive us, we have sinned against you, referring to his nation. Daniel hadn't sinned against God. Daniel didn't do any of the things that he was praying about. But he was, as, a, as, a, as an Israelite, he said, we have sinned. 
Nehemiah came and rebuilt the city walls after the captivity was over. He prayed. He didn't say, God, our forefathers ruined things and those, those other people messed it up for us, but I'm here to fix it, he, which is good. He was. But he first prayed and said, God, we, we have sinned. We can't just sit there and say we for the good stuff and then detach ourselves from the other side. It's okay to walk as a Christian and say, God, we have been wrong. We have done wrong. Our, our history has been, we need some reconciliation. We need to address. We need to own some things. We need to confess some things instead of being so defensive about them. By the way, let's say it's not a we, it's something else. Here's the bottom line. Just because we didn't make the mess doesn't mean there's not a mess to be cleaned up. So even if I can detach myself from the we, where are we today to make things better? Now I'm going to go to a Bible story and spend the rest of our time here today. One more Bible story because there's so much of this in the Bible. The story is how God had to nudge the early church to get over their racial prejudices. Because you see, when Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples to go and spread the good news to all nations to all people, to all parts, starting in Jerusalem, to the rest of the world. They heard him say this, and then he left. And guess what they did? They went and spread the gospel to Jerusalem and to their nation, and it stopped there for a while. And God had to send persecution into the church to get them to scatter, to take the gospel to other people. By the way, sometimes God lets persecution and things come into our world and our lives just to get us to do the right thing. That's what he has to do sometimes for us. So he scatters the church, but even then they went to other countries and only went to the Jewish synagogues and, and spread the news to the other Jews. So when men like Paul began to share it with the Gentiles, well, you saw earlier what they, what they did to Paul, right? Because you don't bring it to them, this is for us. And these are people who heard Jesus tell them. This was Peter. Peter was there when Jesus gave him the commission to spread the message to everybody. But all these years later, it's still a problem. And so guess what happens? One day, God's got to step in supernaturally. So God appears to a man whose name was Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, in other words, not Jew, not Jewish. He was a Gentile man who, who didn't know the story of the gospel, but he knew there was a God. And he believed that God was the creator, and he prayed to God, whoever he was, and he tried to live a righteous life. And one day during his prayers, God supernaturally appears to Cornelius. And he says, Cornelius, I want you to send some servants over to a house by the seaside. Because the people who live there are hosting company. And at their house is visiting a man whose name is Peter. That I've, I want you to go find that Peter at that house and bring him here. And God gave them the directions, gave them the address. I mean, this is a supernatural intervention by God. Cornelius sends his messengers to go find this address and find Peter. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. Amen. But while a meal was being prepared... He fell into a trance. And once again, God's going to supernaturally intervene on this end too. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. 
Now, I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail that I don't have time for to say my apologies to my vegetarian friends because you're fine, but I, I love that God told them to take the animals and kill them and eat them. Amen, brother. I'm just, I'm sorry. I got my, my favorite Bible verse right there. It's on my refrigerator or something. I don't know. But anyhow, he says, rise, kill, and eat them. No, Peter, no, Peter, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, no, Lord, Peter declared, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared are impure and unclean. So here's Peter arguing with God, which he was known to do when Jesus was there too. He's arguing. No, Lord. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. He's trying to tell Peter something in this vision. Here's the crazy part, verse 16. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So it's like, you know, talk about, you know, don't point fingers at Peter. It's me too. Thick-headed, right? You know, this is Peter. Like, let's do it again. Here's the sheet from heaven. Here's the food. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I don't eat that. My, my Jewish customs. What I have called unclean, what I've made clean, don't you call unclean. A third time, same thing. I mean, three times, man. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. This is how much God had to intervene to get them over this hump of getting the good news to other people groups and other races and other nations. And we skip the, ahead a few verses, and it says in verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. He had his family saying, guys, God gave a vision to me to get this guy named Peter. He's coming right now. Get to my house. Let's hear what he has to say. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. Good for you, Peter. Worship God only. That's good. Verse 27, so they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Now, before I show you the next verse, I got to warn you, depending on your perspective, it's kind of cringy. It's not cringy the way that we've always read it because we identify with Peter. But if you think about the people on the other side of the next verse, it's kind of like, ugh. It, it kind of reminds you of those stories you hear of some rich person in some high-rise in the city somewhere saying, it has occurred to me that the footman outside of our complex is as much of a human being as me. And you're like, well, it occurred to you, did it? You know? it's like, but that person's being sincere. They had a, a, a moment of revelation that they're no better than anybody else. But it's still kind of weird if you're on the other end of that saying, well, I'm glad you finally see it that way. So this is kind of the moment here that Peter is having an awesome awareness, a wake-up moment. But it just, just think about what he says. Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Again, for Peter, this is like, isn't this cool that God showed me this? I'm growing. And to them, they're going to be like, well, Gee, thanks, Peter. I'm glad we're finally not too unclean for you to be here, you know? I'm glad that we're finally okay, that, you know, you can associate with us now. I'm glad God showed you that. It's just kind of, kind of like, ugh. 
But Peter's having a moment. He's learning, he's growing. He already followed Jesus, but he needed to grow in this area. He needed to be honest in this area. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now, Peter said, tell me why you sent for me. And so Cornelius tells him the whole backstory. And here's what Peter says in verse 34. Then Peter replied, I can see, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Amen. God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. It took all of this for Peter to be able to come to this conclusion. All this divine intervention. And then Peter begins to share the good news of Jesus. Peter begins to teach the gospel. And I love verse 38. He says this. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I love that statement. Jesus went around doing good. What a summary of Jesus' life right there. Isn't that good for all of us today to do the same thing? He went around doing good. And Peter goes on and explains that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and that faith in him brings salvation. And after all of that, look what happens in verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. They're like, wait, what? And they've already seen God work, but they're like, they get the Holy Spirit too? Like we do? You know, they couldn't believe it. They're amazed. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay for with them for several days, which Peter would have never done before. That's his first time in a house like that. But he stays for several days because God's doing something and the good news is spreading. And he liked to say they lived happily ever after. But the next chapter begins telling us there's still problems. Chapter 11, verse 1. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. Don't miss that word, the Jewish believers. These were not the Jewish God-rejectors, the Jesus-rejecting crowd. These were the Jewish Jesus followers, the believers, the Christians, the church. Jewish believers criticized Peter. What did they criticize him for? Verse 3. They said, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Oh! This is what they're dealing with in their church. The first century church. Then Peter told them exactly what happened. Peter tells the whole story for a, quite a long time. And in verse 17, Peter says, And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Or in other words, who are you to stand in God's way? He said. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. I said earlier, this is not a new problem. It's a tale as old as time. And our nation has a lot of racial sins that have stained it through the years. And a lot of us today want to pretend like that was before and don't talk about it anymore. And what do you want? We get defensive like it's a team thing instead of just saying, as God's children, we need to love each other, all of our brothers and sisters of all, of all stripes and types. 
And our reaction to this topic should be revealing. And so I want us to look at what Peter did in the story, what God did in Peter, and give us quickly, i got to wrap this up now, three quick steps that we can take home in order to do the same, in order to grow ourselves in this area. Three steps from the story. The first step is this, examine your heart. Is going to God and saying, God, here's my heart, examine my heart. God, show me where my heart is wrong. God, show me where I have offended you or I've been wrong before you. God, show me my heart. Now, I'm going to say this again right now. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to say please, okay? So I'm pleading with you. Please, would you, would you when we post that video on our Lighthouse Church in the Loop group later, would you all find it when we post it? And would you please watch that video from Phil Vischer of VeggieTales? There's more, there's more information, but he does a good job of concisely explaining the problem and the background and the history that some of us have maybe never really fully considered or we kind of heard bits and pieces, but we've never, it's so, it's so very awesome presentation. I'm gonna actually post a second video in the comments section there because he has a part two. But if you can't get to both of them, I'm asking you, if nothing else is a favor to me, would you consider, please, would you go to that page and would you just give 15 minutes of your time today or later tomorrow at the latest and watch the video? I'm asking you from my heart. But we got to examine our heart. That's what Peter did. First, he, before he went there, he examined his heart in the, on that rooftop. Number two, come together and listen. After Peter had a heart-to-heart talk with God, he went out of the house to another country, to another person's house, into their house and talked with them. And at some point, we've got to not just sit back and say, I understand enough. We got to get out of our bubble, out of our comfort zone, get to where people really are, not just I know, not just the, the ones who agree with you. I know you got a black friend or an Asian friend. I know we all have some, you know, whatever. But I mean, get to where people are. People who disagree with you, who see the world differently than you do, who have different cultures, experiences, or different expressions, who might rub you the wrong way, and just get together and listen. 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 Hear the, like Peter did. Hear their story. Tell me what God's doing. I want to watch. Oh, wow. When I'm here and I'm watching and I'm listening, God is changing my heart. But we've got to examine our hearts and we've got to come together and listen or we'll never do any better. And then number three, call out your side. This is where some of us stop short. We feel we've done those first two steps, maybe, but we're like, well, there's bad ones out there. I'm not that bad, but we let it exist. And I think it's time that we start calling out bad players. Say, don't talk that way. Don't say that kind of a thing. Don't use those kind of words. Don't talk, hey, I'm gonna defend. Don't, don't be that way. We gotta, we gotta stop being on the side and just saying, oh, well, that was kind of funny or I kind of agree, but I would never say it or, well, I don't agree, but what, what can you do? We gotta stop stepping up and saying, I'm gonna call out wrong treatment of others where it exists. It's time that we start using social media as Christians we use social media to complain about the rest of the world. We complain about the atheists and the Muslims and the, the, if you're a Republican, you complain about, the, complain about the Democrats. If you're a Democrat, you complain about the Republicans. Complain about the other groups of people. If you're a man, you complain about women and women to men, different races of people. Stop pointing fingers to other people. Call out your side. When there's something wrong done in your cat, whatever that category is, call out your side. That's what we have to start doing or we're not gonna get anywhere. Because if we don't, If we don't, well, the gospel, the gospel gets eclipsed when we decide who deserves our light because we're showing God's light or we're supposed to be through us. So as we wrap up the sermon series, Eclipsed, we've had a lot of conversations and we could have gone two or three weeks longer, I know, 
but we have to stop somewhere. And maybe you're glad. But let's ask God to do a work in our hearts to deal with whatever it may be. Maybe it's today's topic or last week's topic or three weeks ago or four weeks ago. Let's ask God to deal with whatever eclipses his light from, our, from others in our lives. And here's why. This is a positive step. You may have thought, whoa, this is kind of a, a negative sermon series. Eclipses. But it's not. Because we want to be for people because God is for people. And for far too long, the church has been known for what it's against. We want to be known for what we are for. We are for our community. We are for people because God is for people, right? And so in order to do that, in order to do that, we've got to address those things that can eclipse our light and call ourselves back to being a clear reflection of God's light to be the moon. Let's be the moon. And so it's a positive series to help us purge the things that limit our message and help us to be more effective, shining his light, shining his love, shining his gospel, which means good news. But is it good news that people hear from us? Let's shine his light and be the moon. Last thing, I gotta be done. We're way past time because we had a couple songs and stuff. So here's, here's the thing. On your way out in the, on the information area table, there are some cards that we gave you a few weeks ago that say Four Cedar Lake and they come with an envelope. I wanna ask you to take one of those cards off that table or two and here's an assignment for this week. I want you to go home and I want you to write a note to somebody who's having a tough time, someone who's going through a rough season. Especially if that's a, a person that you have been enemies with or have just not gotten along with or somebody who doesn't know that you care. That's the best person to write to, not to your best friend. Find someone who doesn't know you care, maybe someone who's a distance from you in relationship, and write them a note saying, hey, they're going through a tough time. Write them a note and say, I see you, I see you, I'm praying for you. If there's anything I can do, let me know. If you have the means to buy a $10 Dunkin' Donuts gift card or a $25 gift card to, to uh, Frank's or something, buy them a gift card. If you can't do that, just write them a note. Say, I'm here for you. I see you. I'm praying for you. Call me if I can help you. And just let someone know that you are for them because God is for them. Let's do the little things that can help us let the community know we are for and God is for them. But as we wrap it up today, I hope that somewhere in this series, God has reminded us not to be against so much, but to be for the Lord and for the people he died for and to be known for what we're for, more than what we're known for being what we're against. Let's be the moon.